It's kind of daunting because you get on social media, right? And you see all these homesteaders who have these perfect homesteads and you're going to have some failures. I've had some failures, but that's, that's truly the way that you learn. But I feel like that's part of the journey, right? That's what our ancestors did. Like may have had a leg up because that knowledge was passed down to them. Whereas there's been kind of a gap in knowledge coming to our generation, at least for me. So that was kind of my turning point was seeing those empty shelves in the store and knowing that's not what I want for me or for my family. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have Gubba from Gubba Homestead on the line. How's it going? Good. It's going good. Nice sunshine day out. So, growing great. That's right. It is so hot here in, uh, <laughs> where I am in Wyoming, probably where Ryan is in Salt Lake as well. So, how, how's it going with you, Ryan? Oh, man, it's it's steaming. I And I have no AC. We were talking about this pre-show. No AC, just running with fans. I worked out outside yesterday, like midday peak UV and heat. It's like 105. Huge mistake. Um, but it, it was an experience. Also sporting sort of the, the light stash coming in. Um, just noticed this now. Uh, for, for audio listeners, you're actually lucky for this one. But I'm excited to talk about this stuff because homesteading is something that I've, I've been exploring myself. And so it, every time I talk to someone like you, Gub, I'm sure I'll be like at the end extra excited and then also overwhelmed with the task, but it'll be, it'll be great to have sort of the information for people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's a really practical, you know, conversation. It's, it's definitely, a, you know, a topic that's become very popular, very desirable for people to kind of go off grid or just homestead, raise their own food, which is cool. It's, I think it's really empowering. So I guess, Let's start with, you know, how did, you know, what's your backstory? How did you get into this? How long has it been? And and what really was like, you know, the inflection point for pursuing a lifestyle like this? Yeah. So I would say my inflection point was probably 2020. So just a few years ago, I was always kind of interested in it and making my own food. But when 2020 hit and the pandemic rolled in, And I remember going to the store and the shelves were completely empty. I don't know how it was like where you guys were, but the shelves were empty. There was nothing in the freezer aisle. People were fighting over bags of beans. And I just remember standing there with my cart and I was like, never again. I am never going to be in a situation like this. This is ridiculous to really depend on a system that just fails and collapses and we see it. And then again, a few years, a few years in the future, it's probably going to happen again. It happens during hurricanes. And I was like, okay, I need to put myself into gear to have a self-sufficient lifestyle where I can depend on myself. I don't have to go to the grocery store. If whatever comes next, because something is probably coming down the pipes again, I don't want to have to depend on a system that fails us. So that's really what got me started. And how I was in the city and I was like, this is not for me. This is the last place I want to be if there's uh, another emergency. So I found some land, was able to move and then just dove head in with all of my animals and trying to just learn the best that I can. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that seems like, it's actually funny that you mentioned 2020, because I think that's actually when a lot of people started, a lot of people we've talked to kind of really dived into this stuff. And they realized, I think, at least for me, I realized the urgency, I think this actually was a lot of people's wake up call, but people realized the urgency of, wow, I can't rely on other people for everything. Um, I can't rely on the systems. I mean, we talked about this with a few people about even like you mentioned meat being off the shelves. I was in LA at the time filming, uh, doing an indie film shoot. And I remember going to the store with my manager to get some supplies for set. And all the meat was gone, except for, I told the story many times, but all the meat was gone except for beef heart. So I just, I grabbed that because no one else wanted it. Um, but it was completely empty. All, all like toilet paper is gone. Like everyone remembers this. But it was sort of like a momentary uh, moment of growth for me because I realized how reliant I was on so many of these systems that have been in place and so much of it's monopolized. Like talk a lot about the meat industry, the, the big four. Um, when you look at all industries, even outside of government, removing that aspect of it, so much of it relies on very few corporations or very few people in charge. And I think that it was a great reminder that we really need to get our own ducks in a row to be at least as self-sufficient as possible in whatever setting we're in. And so I sort of would love to get into how did you take, you sort of mentioned before, how did you take that wake up call for yourself? And what were some initial steps you took, maybe some initial mistakes? Um, and sort of how did you get things rolling to where you are now? I love that you said, um, I think you'd mentioned something will pop to my head as you're talking, being able to do it where you are at, because I'm such an advocate for that. You can homestead wherever you're at. A lot of people, I get responses on social media. Oh, one day when I have land, but no, like you, you don't need land. So the first things I did was I made a sourdough starter. I think that topic exploded during 2020, which you take flour and water and you basically make your own yeast. So that's another self-sufficient thing. You don't have to go to the store to get yeast. You always have your own yeast in your fridge or on your counter so you can make breads and other things. And then one of the biggest things and probably the first thing that I will recommend for anybody to do if you want to start living self-sufficiently is source your food locally. So I went local and there happened to be like a little farm. It was like in the city, but I think they had the farm outside the city and then they would bring all their stuff to their farm store. And so I started connect with them and I bought, started buying my food, my produce and my meat from them. And at first it can be a little jarring because the prices will be a little higher, but you have to take into consideration the quality difference versus if you just go to a grocery store and you're getting something on the shelf, you don't know what that animal what uh, situation it grew up in, what they were eating, and then what they eat is then what they become, and that's what you're eating. So you're getting this quality. So sourcing local, and then when you start so- sourcing local with people, especially your farmers, you start to meet other people. I also started to order from this place called Azure Standard, which is like a bulk grocery store online that has a lot of higher quality alternatives and they do like a one month drop off. And so I was able to meet other people ordering from there who were like-minded. So these were kind of the things I started doing. I started to garden again. I hadn't gardened in a while. I gardened growing up, growing up with my parents and I started to garden again, built a raised garden bucks in my small backyard and just started to grow my tomatoes, strawberries and get that going for myself. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really important point because a lot of people, yeah, they get, they go from the extremes of like, 
you know, they live in a high rise in the city and then they just want, they're like, I need to buy, you know, 20 acres and do all that. And it's like, no, like, A, you're going to bite off like way more than you can chew. And B, like, there's a lot of things like you're saying that you can do um, to make yourself, you know, more resilient from a food security perspective just by, you know, buying locally. And yeah, we talk a lot about here is, I mean, one of the best investments you can have is just just buying like a chest freezer and, you know, connecting with your local rancher. And yeah, I mean, if you have the freezer stock, like you're, you're obviously going to be a lot more um, flexible in terms of food security for, for months. And then, yeah, you're paying that back in the, in the local economy. So I guess, how did you kind of know that you wanted to go like full into the homesteading aspect? And, and were there a lot of good like resources for you to kind of understand that that was something you were, you know, ready to commit to? Because it is a lot of work and, and we can get into that. And I think people underestimate that, you know, very heavily. Um, but again, you know, you don't need that much land if you even do want a homestead and uh, you can really start small and, and work your way up. But I'm curious, kind of, you know, education, what you found was like really helpful and kind of what convinced you from going in kind of this intermediate approach of, of sourcing local to really wanting to just grow as much as possible yourself and raise. Yeah. So that step for me was really, I started in that grocery store with my cart, seeing the empty shelves. And I was like, wow, this is not this is not what is for me. It's not sustainable. I don't want to re- rely on other systems. And it started there and then it kind of became that sourcing local. And then I had always wanted to have some land, but more just to like have land. Right. And I'm like, so I just dove head in. Like that was, that was really my game changer. I was like, I need to eventually get some land. I'm going to start where I'm at. And I am very uh, spiritual. And so I was like, I know that one day something will open up for me. Like I have that faith and it did. And uh, it was just really amazing how things aligned, but I did find a lot of sources and information online, right? There's a lot of people who are doing it. And like you guys have mentioned, the 2020 really kind of spurred that into effect. So there's a lot of people out there who are doing it and learning and sharing their mistakes online. But the best way that I think that you are going to learn is to bite off a section at a time, whether that's gardening and you're going to have some failures. I've had some failures, but that's that's truly the way that you learn. It's kind of daunting because you get on social media, right? And you see all these homesteaders who have these perfect homesteads and everything's in bloom and they have five acres of a garden and it looks amazing. And so you're kind of like, oh, I could do that. But then you do get in there and you realize it's difficult. But I feel like that's part of the journey, right? That's what our ancestors did. Like they got in and they just did the work. It may it may have had a leg up because that knowledge was passed down to them, whereas there's been kind of a gap in knowledge coming to our generation, at least for me. Um, so that was kind of my turning point was seeing those empty shelves in the store and knowing that's not what I want for me or for my family. Yeah, I think, well, I was going to say just on top of that, I was like, it's a plane. So I'm trying to ignore that in the back of my mind because I didn't get my mic set up correctly. But anyways, um, that information gap, I think is important for people. I feel like it's up from a mindset perspective, just because this is where I've focused a lot of my energy or have seen a lot of my own pitfalls and starting something new that I, I it, is that I think people need to realize like where they're at as far as like an educational standpoint goes. And like you said, I really liked that, that aspect of like, 
people feel like they need land to do this or they need to like move out of the city and go somewhere else, which is great. And maybe that's like a good like place to be at some point. But I was talking even before the podcast with Tristan about how my girlfriend's grandparents have a chicken coop down the street and I was going to help them build that out so that we could have just eggs produced for ourselves and not have to go to the store and I have to and try and make it as free range in the few acres that they have over there. And it's all about starting small, but it's about going like, I think one of the greatest uh, talks we had was with John Pantalone, who was on here from Amber Oaks ranch talking about learning and how you really need, in order to be successful, you need to be someone that seeks out knowledge um, and are willing to make mistakes willing to do the work because it's not easy. It's actually creating a lifestyle. And I think when you realize that fundamental uh, relationship between lifestyle and like your goal, that's when you can start making headway. But I think it all starts small and you sort of build up from there. I'd love to hear about some more of the hurdles that you had starting out, especially in the beginning, and maybe some of the, the bottlenecks that you found starting at, at that small scale. Um, and sort of just how you worked your way around those, because I feel like this is one of those tasks where getting into it, you can probably be deterred very easily. And I, I want people to sort of see that light at the end of the tunnel in the beginning stages, because they will make lots of mistakes. I'm in the middle of making lots of mistakes. Um, and I'm anticipating those, but there are also some things that you can't anticipate. I like, I like what you said is um, where you can't anticipate the things that might come down the pipes and they might be struggles for people or detour people. And some of those things when I was first starting out in my little place with a small backyard, I feel like one of the first deterrents when you are going to eat healthy or choose qual- more quality things, there's a heftier price tag. And so that can deter a lot of people. But when you sit, and well, well, when I was sitting and thinking about that, well, what is this doing for my health, right? So this is important to me for community. I'm meeting all these farmers and other people at the farm store and we're connecting. And what is it benefiting me, right? It's benefiting me for meeting those people and creating sources, but also benefiting my health and then maybe having less doctor visits or whatever. But also for that price take, I learned to barter through this. So I started... Uh, foraging like choke cherries during the summer and I was making up a lot of jam. And so I was able to like for, uh, barter with people for jam and their goods. And so it's kind of just like taking the, taking the next step, right? So you go, you maybe see a hurdle and you're like, okay, well, what can I do? Like just being brave and like having some courage and not being deterred so easily and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to go back to the grocery store. This is all I can do. No, it's not all you can do because there are those options out there. And I feel like the system that we're in wants you to feel not empowered, wants you to feel helpless. And you just have to depend on these um, systems that are in place, but you can go, you just have, like, have to keep going. And then Uh, Another bottleneck I had was finding land that was, let's see, so 2021, that was during the housing boom. I don't know what it was like for you guys in your area, but the houses were going so fast. Everything was going fast. I think the interest rates were low and prices, like it was kind of crazy. So finding a place was difficult. But again, I, this is just how I look at things. I truly believe that things can work out for your good. And an opportunity came up and open and 
just the way that things worked out for me. I was able to get some land. Again, you don't have to have land when you start out. Like you were saying with grandparents, your girlfriend's grandparents down the road, you can find places where you can have a community garden. So it's just like taking that next step and finding options. There's literally, I could, there where I used to live, there was multiple community gardens and I'd see people go there. I had friends who lived in small apartments and they would rent out a space. So you just have to have that will to keep going and trying for yourself. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, I think that's I think that's huge, especially buying land in a house or whatever. It's like yeah, if if you try and force the issue, I think you might end up in a less desirable situation or maybe pay more than something's worth. It can definitely patience pays off, I think. And yeah, if you really are, you know, manifesting having something like the opportunity will present itself. I, I really like that. But yeah, also, you know, the cost thing is is huge because I think, as we know, like food prices in the grocery store have been held like so artificially low for so long. Subsidies, you know, industrial farming systems that people have just like a disillusioned perspective on the cost of food, especially high quality food. And we've talked about that kind of at length here on the podcast. We've had Stefan Van Fleet, who does the research that shows, you know, higher quality forage, diverse pastures leads to higher nutrient dense meat. And uh, I'm curious, you know, is, is the health side of things something that, you know, you were interested in before, or you kind of just realized that it all made sense as, you know, this all like culminated together because it really, you know, there, there's a lot of people who get into this from, you know, the freedom, the, um, you know, food security perspective and just like wanting to tell the government to, you know, give them the middle finger. But then there's a lot of people who just want to raise their own food because they're so, you know, into the health space. I, I think it's interesting. I think uh, a lot of folks are starting to come together on this topic and it's uh, it's cool to see. But I'm curious if that was the case for you um, or which which came first, I guess. So I, the self-sufficiency aspect came first for me, and I feel like that ties into health. But as I was going through this, and this is embarrassing to admit for me, but I talk about my socials, I was vegetarian for 10 years. So I was even meat adverse. I was, um, so I wasn't super into it. I'd eat eggs. But then when I finally went full-blown into homesteading and really uh, discovering the system for what it is and big pharma and all these things. I feel like you guys probably know and understand based on what I see online, but, um, then the health thing really kicked in and I am extremely aware of what goes into my food. I eat meat now. It's the majority of what I eat, the fats, but I feel like it all ties together, like homesteading and self-sufficiency and trying to be the healthiest version of yourself it all ties together. And um, these, like you're saying how the grocery store system has been held so artificially low, we've kind of been living in like a facade almost like kind of this fake system and it's crumbling before people's eyes. And I feel like people are kind of panicking and maybe the panic hasn't fully set in yet, but that's why I think it's so important to get this information out there that people are capable with where you're at and to not forget that. Yeah. I just want to say it's like, to me, it, I kind of love seeing when 
all these, you know, um, belief systems, you know, they, they are all connected, right? Like, you know, your health is your wealth and being healthy, uh, having high, high quality food, buying it local, like that's all decentralization and yeah, you know, preaching freedom at the highest level at the community level. So I, I really, you know, try and convince people who maybe aren't as aware of these things, um, that are just in it for like the freedom aspect, um, because it is important and that's really interesting. So I'm assuming, yeah, I guess, do you feel a lot better now that you started eating meat? Um, maybe also discuss, you know, what it feels like to just like eat the products of your labor, because I feel like that's like an experience, you know, that most people don't can, can never really have. And, you know, you, you can't get more local than your own like yard, really. And there's, uh, you know, aspects of health and, you know, positive energy and frequency that we could never comprehend. And I bet it uh, it goes a long ways when when you put in the work and, and love to raise food the right way. I like what you said, too, is like a lot of people don't have that experience of enjoying things that they raise I, I talk about it on social media. We have been so disconnected from our food, the eggs that we are getting from the store, the conditions that the animals are in. If we decentralized it and just went local or raised our own chickens, it would just be a whole better system for the world, the animals, everything. But I love, I can't even explain the connection that you can have with your food where I go out there, I gather the eggs. I know that they are nutrient dense because my chickens have been out foraging all day and I feed them, I water them. So you have this connection and they follow me around. So it's really cool to have that connection with your food. And I, right now I have goats for raw milk, which is amazing. I go out and milk in the morning and then I'll drink their milk once it's cooled off. And it is just amazing to watch them work the land. So they get rid of the weeds and they're eating the grass and the shrubs. And then they turn that into this product for me, like they had for thousands of years. And so I think another aspect of homesteading is reconnecting with our food. Like it, the connection with our food is so gone and so lost and people go to the store and they think that the chips on the shelf, the Doritos are, are food or is food. And it's, it's not, you know, and I, I don't judge if anybody wants to eat that like you do you, but like, it's just crazy to think that it's only taken a few generations for the system to completely disconnect us from our natural ancestral ways of how, you know, humans have been for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, speaking on that too, is um, we did a live recently where we sort of talked about the loss of generational wisdom um, and how we even look at our elders in like a different, I think the, my generation and I mean, maybe the generation before me and after me view old people in a certain light that's different than maybe ancestrally how humans have always viewed, you know, elder, elder people that always looked at them with like some sort of revered knowledge. Um, and it's interesting. I actually have had really good discussions with my grandpa over the last year about stuff like this, because he grew up on a farm in middle of Michigan. They had, they pretty much produced all their own food. Um, his uncle was a butcher, so they had local meat from him. And that was like the system. And it, it, it's, it's interesting, like what you said, like how, how much can be lost in only a few generations. And I feel with the exponential growth in tech now and in the future, it's going to be on this curve until we hit 
infinite, basically. Um, I feel like that that loss becomes more and more every year with each generation. Not to say that all the things that we have now aren't great and have a place, because I, I also don't want to bash like we wouldn't be able to talk right now if we didn't have advancements in in tech and all this communication stuff over the last like 30, 40, 50 years. But I feel like there's uh this growing reliance on, like you said, this the systems that we've built. And I think we realized how everything's built on a stool with maybe two legs and it's just barely balancing. And so, like I said, it all goes back to like fundamental knowledge and it's not easy to learn per se, but I think the value there is something everyone can gain from. It's not like, I believe there are certain people that fit this, this like uh model of like the things we're talking about. I feel like everyone would benefit from this discussion that we're having about knowing where your food comes from, like uh, that connection with nature. It's all, to me, like you said, it all goes back. It all encompasses one actual thing. And we like to separate things and compartmentalize them as, as humans and put them in little boxes, but they're all connected into like one large structure of how life orients itself. And so I think like the more you realize that everything's connected, I feel like the better you are to, you know, tackle the hurdles that maybe come up because you're not looking at it in an isolated view. Like medicine's a great example of that. Everything's broken down now into specialties. And so we have these issues treating certain complex illnesses because we have five systems at work here, but we're only seeing one person for each system. And so you need to really address all of those things. And same with food, goes back to everything. So I just I just find it to be an interesting discussion of of sort of that uh, uh, that loss of of the big picture, I would say. Um, and I guess for you, I, something I wanted to ask too was as you've as you've grown from like the small sort of uh, practice to like looking at larger larger um, larger uh, whatever built, uh, like you know what I'm talking about. You're you're building you're building like you're building out. Um, how have those challenges evolved for you and sort of like what, what challenges do you face now as you sort of like get more animals and like do all this stuff and like, uh, cause my thing is like, how do we scale these things or like, where does it tap out? Like, do you have any idea of that? Like, is it just like fundamentally like, like sort of you and your family, we support this group or is there sort of like, I, we talk about community a lot and I wanted to see your, your view on like incorporating these local communities together by sort of bringing these homesteaders together and building something that works cohesively in, in, in the community. Because we've uh, had a few other people on here talk about the community. And I'd sort of love your view on that. Oh, community, I feel like is everything. So it's really neat where I live um, because people are so homestead minded. So they have that, they want to source local or they're raising their own food uh, they have the dairy cow. They are also preppers, like extreme, extreme preppers out here, which I think is just the coolest thing ever. And I recently talked about this. I don't remember where, but having the community that I live by, it's so neat because you can barter. One of my favorite things is bartering like, oh, last summer when I was getting lots and lots of milk for my cow, I would trade the cow milk for strawberries and produce from other from other people who were growing stuff that I wasn't but they wanted raw milk. So I think being able to connect with your community, see what somebody else is doing, 
And if they're doing something you want to do, learn from them. So when I was first started starting to get into goats and venture in that, I connected with people who I knew had goats and started to pick people's brains, like talk to them about, you know, local area struggles that goats might have, what, what their experience is. So community really is everything where you're going to find your knowledge. So if you think about the technology that we're talking about, if the system collapsed, technology went down, there's always stuff on the internet where it's like, oh no, something's going to happen. The internet's going to go out. Well, if it actually did, do you have a community that you can depend on, whether that's a neighbor or your family? I know, which is very neat. I feel very blessed to live in a community where I know that we could come together and have a functioning society and like a little mini society. And that is something that I completely vibe with. I love, I'm here for it because I think that's how things used to be. You looked out for your neighbor, you looked out for your community, but you're also kind of balancing off each other, seeing what somebody needs. What can you do? Provide what skills can you trade? Skills are another huge thing that are, you know, there's been that generational gap where our great grandparents, Great, great grandparents used to build everything in their houses. Well, a lot of people don't know how to work with wood now, right? So thinking of these skills and things that you can bring to your community and then see what you can trade or barter with. So community is everything. Yeah, I think people should just watch Walking Dead, at least the first <laughs> couple good seasons, and then be like, all those skills, learn those, learn those skills. Minus the zombie killing part. I'm just waiting because we're talking about sort of value for value here. I just had to jump in for Tristan and be like, I'm waiting for Tristan to be like, oh, Bitcoin. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask that, but I was going to say in general, maybe, but um, uh, in general, you know, where just to give listeners some context, you know, where, where are these like, you know, relationships being built, you know, conversations happening? Are you going to like local farmers markets? Are you, are you knocking on people's doors? Like, how are you... Did you move to this area or was it kind of, and you were like, you know, fresh start? Like, how did you build out this community that, you know, probably inherently already existed and and you broke into it? I just want to, you know, give the listeners some context because it can be intimidating, but of course, you know, it's, it's, it's not that hard if you put yourself out there. Yeah. I like what you said. It's not that hard if you put yourself out there, but I feel like a lot of people may feel nervous and social interactions can be a lot. But once you realize that social interactions are kind of weird for everybody, it can make you feel better to do like just go out and do that. I feel like if you move to a new area like I did, new, nobody, no, new, nobody. And uh, if you want to get into this more self-sufficient lifestyle, go to the farmer's markets. And there's also like other meetups that your local community will have. I know that right now there's like a big gardening meetup with a local farmer and he goes through his garden just on his own free time, which is really, really cool. So you can go to things like that, like see where your community is doing. But for example, I went to the farmer's market a few weeks ago and I saw another beekeeper selling his bee products. I do bees and I just wanted to go and chat with him, see what kind of bees he has, what's working for him, what's not. And so we had this great conversation and then we, he gave me his card and we exchanged information. And so now I have another source of the information. So it's just little things like that. If you're interested in something, a farmer's market is great because those people who are there selling their products, they believe in them. That's why they're there and they want to connect with you. Another way that I met people early on before I was really into the land and had moved is I ordered online from that little online grocery store, which has 
prepping items and items in bulk. And they do these one month drop, like drop offs of everybody's stuff. So you go meet up at a park and then you meet people who maybe there are also building a food storage and then you connect with them. I met a lot of people that way as well. And then you can exchange items, become friends. So those are some of the ways that I met community. My neighbors, I just, let's see, I happened upon most of my neighbors because my dogs would get out before I built a fence. And then we connected that way and we've stayed in connection. We've had like little neighbor get togethers and it's really cool because my community is very tight knit and very like-minded. So you can find like-minded individuals. You just have to put yourself out there. My button wasn't responding. That was a whole thing. Um, no, actually, I had a quick question too, because we're tar- sort of talking about getting out there, meeting people. I mean, Tristan sort of, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, um, just BTS, but about like when you had your book and like going to farmer's markets and, and now you're doing a stand with your bison stuff. And it's all about, I think the initial hump is just getting over that anxiety of, of meeting people and being okay with asking questions or, or, um, or talking about your own thing when you're sort of bringing up like that bartering situation, because I feel like it's so out of the realm of anything people do today. Um, it's still, I see it a lot. Like I grew up in Midland, Kansas, really small town. And I saw stuff like that happen actually pretty frequently. But I think some of those smaller communities where you have generational people that have been there forever, they sort of have that leg up. And so it sort of got me thinking about in a city setting, like, yeah, I go to farmer's markets and stuff like that to meet people of like mind and just see kind of what's going on. I think those are the best ways to like meet people in a, in a larger setting. Um, but I, I actually wondered what your thoughts were on things like community gardening and stuff like that in big cities. Like, is there, is that, is that a good place to start for people that are in the city? Um, is, or it just, I, it was just like on top of mind when you, when you were talking about sort of community building. Um, I know some cities are like trying to do that pretty heavily implement that in like Atlanta and like some places in California are doing that. Um, I'd sort of love your thoughts just on building that community, like within a city setting, I think. Yes. So just even talking about community gardens gets me excited because if you have people listening and they want to get into homesteading and they're in the city or an apartment, they just don't have that community gardens are the place to be because one, some of them may let you trade services where you just go and work and you help them with garden tasks and then you get a little plot and you can garden whatever. And another, like talking about meeting people, what a great place to go meet like-minded people. So there are going to be other people who are in your situation. Maybe they can't have a garden at home, but they have gardening knowledge and then you guys can exchange knowledge. And so I'm just looking at these these things is like little seeds where you can go and you plant your water. It's literally a garden, but then it flourishes into something that you might not even ever expect. Maybe that person has a piece of land for sale somewhere and you just literally never know what kind of opportunities. But like I keep saying is you just have to put yourself out there. And I'm so happy to hear that more places are doing community gardens. I went to a few with my friends who they had a little garden plot and it was just so cool because there really is a sense of community and everyone was there and they would help each other and offer tips. So yes, absolutely. If you can do a community garden, do it. Yeah. I think the, uh, putting yourself out there is huge, but also like building the skill set before you 
jump in. And John Pantalon talked a lot about that. He kind of, you know, was like, yeah, you know, building houses, flipping houses was his side project. And then, you know, he eventually built houses on his farm and, you know, had these skills, went from homesteading, did that, built the skills. And now he's actually like has a ranch enterprise. And it's like, you can't expect to just learn how to do everything right off the bat. But, you know, you could go work for a farm, you know, there's plenty of apprenticeship programs. They'll pay you in meat or, you know, whatever their produce or, or products is. The community garden seems like a great way to learn. So I would highly recommend experimenting with these things if that's like your end goal, because yeah, I mean, you, you need to learn the skills somehow and it's better off you do that before you make a big, you know, financial commitment. So I'm curious on on your end, um, a lot of, you know, the other things we've talked about with, with homesteaders is kind of how they've balanced like going from like a traditional work setting to homesteading. And I think both our previous guests still like work part time remotely while they homestead. How is that like, and this is often, you know, something that's maybe like a gray area in the space. Um, so how has that situation looked for you and is uh, obviously social media is, is something that's been going really well for you, which is awesome. We can talk about that, but kind of how did you transition or, you know, what's your situation there? And do you have a long-term goal of uh, achieving something? Yeah. So what I've actually been doing for work, do you guys know what I do for work? I'm curious. No. No. So I, well, I know the yeah. social media stuff, but I don't know if there's another thing. Just go by Homestead or do you know? Yeah. The others? Yeah. Okay. No, okay. So I've actually streamed on Twitch for the past eight years. I started streaming on ah. Twitch in 2015 and I, so I was working at Buffalo Wild Wings and then I left my job and started streaming full time. It was the coolest thing ever. Literally the coolest thing ever. Love that. But so I still stream and I have the coolest community. They're called the Gubba Squad and I have streamed for eight years. And so that's what I do. And now I, they are coming along on this homestead adventure with me. But yeah, I work from home. That's why I have my green screen. You know, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Not once did I think streaming was happening with the green screen, but like all the dots. What do you stream, if I may ask? Uh, So right now, I do a lot of chatting like we're doing right now. Talk and communicate, talk and get to know the community. But also I play Fortnite. I was wondering, I was wondering, I have, well, I have just some of my background. Like I've, I've been in the social space for like seven years is basically the only thing I've done. So I've, I have lots of friends that stream and that's mm-hmm. like their main gig. But I, I always wonder what people do because it, it's, it's actually branched out quite a lot. Like it's way, I think people don't realize that, especially if you're like, maybe of like the boomer generation, you don't understand any of it, but um, it's really branched out. Like you, lots of people do lots of different things on Twitch. So that's actually really cool that you're able to sort of balance those two things and even incorporate it with the community. Like that's a really big way to now increase reach, which I think is important. Yeah, that, and I'm also going to do more homesteading streams. I've done a few, but I think people are really interested in that. And I used to do a lot of cooking in 2016. I was one of the first people to start cooking on Twitch and doing like this homemaking thing. So doing more of that. And then long-term goals, I have Uh, a huge product that I'm going to be coming out with on the homestead side that I'm really excited with. I've just been brainstorming of like how I can get things to the audience. So I have a product coming up soon. I also have like a food storage course that I did. I'm super into food storage. Like we talked about that 2020. And after that, like things just clicked. I have a food storage that 
can last me for a extremely long time. And so I teach people how to do that. I also have uh, downloadables for people for prepping and how to build a food storage, things that I use. I literally sat earlier this year and I was like, okay, what would make things, what would have made things easier for me when I was getting into it? So I made these downloadables and these courses for people who don't know where to start. They're just on their journey. And so I'm trying to get that homestead reach out to them. So those are sort of other things that I'm working on besides what I do streaming on Twitch. That's awesome. Actually, uh, kind of going along with that sort of leads into my, my next thought with that is, and I'm sure stored like food storage is part of it. Um, my grandma was huge into food storage. I thought she was kind of crazy old lady with like a huge garden. Um, who just like lived in the country, but she had like, she had a whole room. It was actually underground too. So it was like cooled with the, with the soil and stuff. Um, but just like jars, just like, I don't even know how they dug this thing out underground. It was just like back, just like jars of everything forever, like artichokes, like all this stuff. So where does seasonality fit, um, in your realm of food? Cause me and Tristan talk a lot about that on the podcast and have with other guests of sort of like, eating seasonally and stuff like that. But I'm assuming like, how does that work with like food storage and what's your kind of view on that stuff? So I really am getting into eating more seasonal and eating more what's local sort of. Tristan, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet where you talked about that. I think that's like, I really like like that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so right now all the abundance is coming up. So then I will can it. So I just did raspberries. So it's a bunch of berries right now. I'm getting ready to do my garlic. So I'm not really like where I'm at, where I'm just going to eat berries just in the summer. If I can them up and then I want some in the winter, I think that's great for me personally, but I also will eat majority of like meats and those uh, like potatoes and stuff during the winter. That's just what is like sustaining for me. And then in the summer I'm out eating the fresh things. So I'm getting there eating more seasonally and being aware of that i like stopped eating bananas recently i'm like oh bananas aren't local so i'm just kind of getting to there among all the other things that i'm doing what do you guys do for that seasonally and local food yeah um i mean i'm pretty big on that it's tough for sure especially if you have the berries like i mean i don't know here in wyoming it's like few and far between unless you want to go pick them with the bears which i do want to do but that's like a lot of it's a lot of effort right so you know, if, yeah, if you can can it and, and make it last a little bit longer, I think it's totally, you know, not an issue, but, um, yeah, per, I try to eat, you know, it's local and seasonal as possible. Pretty much. I mean, I don't touch any produce or fruit that's not grown, uh, it, for sure not grown in the United States and 90% of the time, just like within, you know, the state of Wyoming or, you know, the tri-state area. And I, and I think it's, yeah, from an energy utilization perspective, as well as, yeah, just trying to support the local economy as, as much as possible. It, it's great, but I know it can be very tough for people. And yeah, if you're not connected. So for, so for here, it's, yeah, it's a lot of animal products. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And same for me. I mean, I'm just like barely south of you in Utah, so it's, it's kind of similar. But uh, the other thing too is like with that, I always joke with my girlfriend because she likes mangoes. And so I'll just be like, did that grow here? Do that mango grow grow in Utah? Is that lo- is that a local mango? Looks pretty big for a local mango. But, but but it's like the berries too, like the fruit up here. It's like yeah, it's like berries and things, and the wild berries especially. I mean, they're so they're this big. They're, <laughs> they're, they're so, so small. small. Like if you think about ancestrally, like how many calories they're probably getting from these berries. 
I mean, it couldn't have been that much. I don't, I don't know, but they're very nutrient dense. Like they're so nutrient dense for like that little berry, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, the time investment is, is quite high, but, but you forage quite a bit for mm-hmm. berries. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what you found with that is, you know, they're a secret to like being, I was going to ask or what you said, choke berries is kind of in your area, the main main thing yeah so my last area there was choke cherries and then i just did a load of uh pie cherries so there's a lot of pie cherries so it's kind of cool in my area you can go go around and kind of just find random fruit trees or that they were planted a long time ago of course you make sure they're on like public land public or state land because you don't want to trespass on anybody's property uh if this is also going back to connecting with your community if people have extra they will share or call you hey do you want to come and get these plums uh i have pears coming in and apples and i'm going to have way more than what i know how to deal with so i will be calling my neighbors to come and help me pick i also just foraged huckleberries i don't know if you guys are familiar with those berries yes Yes. very much (laughs) yeah with the bears you're out with the bears yeah and those are some of my favorites and i think i forage about five gallons but for me it's like this joy i get so much joy being out in the woods it is one of my most favorite things ever so i will go out there um you can forage elderberries which are really great Mm -hmm. um trying to think you can do thistleberries wild strawberries so i really like foraging yeah, no, huckleberries are like gold out here in the Rockies. Yeah, I know like my brother-in-law's family uh, goes out and forages a lot for them. And, you know, they'll share meat. They'll share anything with you, but they don't share their huckleberries because <laughs> it's yeah. like that much effort. But can you grow, like, could you get a huckleberry bush and, and grow it in your yard or would that not like work because the elevation and things like that? Yeah, there's some elevation. And I think that there's just some things that thrive being wild. There's like garden huckleberries that you can get and grow the bush, but it's not going to be the same as somewhere in the middle of the mountains. And I think when it comes to nutrient density, there's definitely going to be a difference versus something that is grown on a mountainside, undisturbed versus something that has been, you know, in the garden cultivated for that environment. So I think it is an elevation thing. Um, and also just the environment. Maybe if you had, wooded property in the mountains where they naturally grow. You could have some in your garden, but I don't think you could ever take, I know when I was younger, we tried, we tried that and it didn't work. So I'm speaking from that. With fruits as well, like pear and apple trees. I'm just curious, like, is that something that's taken like a few years to really like blossom? Cause I know fruits, especially, yeah, it's good to like plant stuff kind of like as early as possible. If, if you want to, you know, it takes years to build up, I guess. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. Yeah, so I got lucky. The property I got had three pear trees that were full grown and a Honeycrisp apple tree. So those are full grown and still bringing fruit. And then I planted this year, I think, let's see, nine fruit trees. But my peaches that I even planted this year are bringing in 
peaches. I'm curious to see what those look like because they are smaller trees. But yes, you want to plant as soon as possible. The best time to plant a tree was yesterday. So just that's another encouraging thing that I would say for people wherever you're at, try and plant some fruit trees or some fruit bushes because even in a small area, you could have like raspberries and that can feed you like any way that you can get food and maximize your space, get rid of lawn, which I think is a waste of space and maximize it for yourself and your family, I think is a huge win. Yeah. I mean, even piggybacking off that, like my parents uh, removed a whole patch of grass in their backyard along their fence and they have a green space behind their house. That's kind of nice, but they removed like this entire patch and planted raspberry bushes several years ago. So they have a bunch of those spread like wildfire. And then they have a peach tree that I swear every year gives you more peaches than you could like ever handle. Like we freeze the crap out of them and jar them or whatever. Cause like so many every year. So like Tristan, next time you're here, you need to like take some peaches. Okay. Um, but, um, but like, it's, it's interesting to see how things grow differently. Cause I know up in my grandparents cabin in Northern Michigan, they have wild blueberry and wild raspberry bushes and they're different than the ones that you put in your garden. Like they just, they look different. Of course, soil's different. I mean, environment's different here and everything, but even going up into the UNM mountains, I found raspberries up there and they're completely different than the ones down here. So that actually with foraging, like my, I have a friend that's been getting really into it. Um, I don't know if you have any insight on like good resources for getting started with that, like good books, um, any of that stuff I think would be valuable for people. Cause I, I think a lot of people are into the idea of it, but I don't know if they know where to start. Yes. And again, this even goes back to community. When I first started getting into foraging, I joined a foraging page on Facebook that was local. And then people will post on there like, hey, the morels are out at this elevation. Usually people won't share where some people will. Um, but generally not. Nobody wants to share their spot where they're getting these delicious treats. But that's when I when I really want to take it seriously. I join that page and then locally people will show you what's out and what's in your area. That is the best. Yes, you can get books that are local, but actually like seeing the posts or talking to people who are going out and getting the different mushrooms because all these areas have different kinds of mushrooms and you want to be careful with that, but also what kind of berries and what other things. It's so cool to see what people are foraging in your area and that you didn't even know what was growing in your area. So another thing that goes back to community is even foraging. That's so true. Yeah. I want to get back into that. I, I bought one of those books, like foraging. I haven't read it, but I grew up like picking mushrooms in Austria with my mom. And I was like, this is like so cool. And yeah, so it's cool. just like this adventure as well. And, but you do need to know what you're doing because yeah, I mean, mushrooms toxic, there's berries that are toxic. So, um, you got to be somewhat, uh, somewhat careful, I think. But I'm curious in general, you know, you've, you know, done quite a bit of gardening. Um, you got some fruit trees, things like that, but also raising livestock. Like what's more challenging, do you think, um, you know, livestock or, or, or raising like produce and uh, things like that? So I, for me personally, would say the livestock so far, because I feel like there's so much that goes into animals, but there's also so much that goes into gardening with rotating your crops and, you know, fertilizing the soil, having a compost. But for me, that's more manageable. Whereas animals, if the animals get out of their fencing and you have to chase them back or something happens, it, it can quickly become a huge disaster. 
I, that's why I really love goats as compared to cows. I had a cow last year and I have cows actually right now, um, grazing. I lease some for grazing and, um, I just, I prefer doing things like gardening, smaller scale, but because I feel like animals are so difficult and if they get sick and then it spreads. And then another thing with goats that I had to be aware of is uh, biosecurity. So if people come over and they've been around animals, which everybody who comes over has been around animals, they have to wipe down their shoes because something could get into the soil and they have to wash their hands and before they even go around my goats and so animals are difficult. Or if you have a raccoon that comes in and takes out your whole uh, chicken coop. But gardening could be difficult if you didn't have fencing. Like last year, my garden was extremely difficult because I didn't have eight foot tall fencing like I do now. So the deer just ravaged it and destroyed it. And so I think it's going to depend on your area, especially what your interests are. Uh, what kind of fencing you have is going to be a huge thing, whether it's going to make things easier or difficult. A lot of people detoured me from goats because they said that they were a nightmare and they got out all the time. Well, I have proper fencing for goats and it's just been a dream. It's been so easy, made things extremely easy for me. So that's going to, I think, difficult is going to depend on your interests and your land and what resources you have. Yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned goats because my dad grew up with a lot of goats and he said they were like the best thing they ever had was like goats and then getting goat milk and like all that, all that stuff. So like I, I, I've always leaned towards if I were to start with some animals, I'd like, I think I'm going to start kind of small with like these chickens that are already at my disposal and kind of see how it goes, like learn their ways or whatever. And then sort of like down the line, down the road, a couple of years, get some land, do some stuff, get some goats, see how it goes. Um, but I've heard that about cows as well being like kind of, kind of, kind of tough depending on. And, uh, we spoke to, uh, uh, another friend of ours about homesteading, Scott Miller, I believe. And he was talking about how like kind of have to always be prepared for the unexpected. Like you got chickens, we got to worry about coyotes sometimes. You got to worry about whatever, depending on where you're at. So it's sort of, sort of these, there's things will happen. You just got to be ready for things to happen and, uh, be okay with it kind of going upside down some some ways but i as far as like um like gardening and stuff goes do you do you suggest that people like start there because it's kind of like the path of least resistance and then you learn a lot and like of course you have a lot of guides for stuff like that so i think you have a lot of good resources but is that sort of like i guess really it's like start where you want to start um but i know for me i i think we already kind of talked about it but it's like what's your access start with what you have access to and then kind of build from there. Um, do you have any sort of, this is sort of a, a broad question, but do you have any sort of like um, beginner's uh, mistakes to look out for? Like if I'm just like getting started, like got a garden going, doing that stuff, like with animals specifically, do you have any like words of wisdom from your own experience of like, maybe start with this, maybe start with chickens, maybe start with, whatever because i know chickens you can kind of do in a smaller space but you smaller still like enterprises room. yeah smaller enterprises yeah i would say yes a word of advice if you're getting into animals start with chickens they are truly like such a gateway livestock animal because you still have to feed them water them you can practice rotation with them and they are simple. I feel like they are so simple. I even made a chicken downloadable that helps people get started 
with having chickens and goes through how to do your coop and other amazing words of wisdom in there to really just guide people in that direction. I wish everybody would have chickens. I think the only reason you couldn't have chickens is if your HOA says you can't have chickens. They are so easy. They just need a little roost, a little nesting box and a little safe place to go in at night and they can just roam around your backyard. So I would start with chickens. Absolutely. And be aware of what kind of predators you have in your area, like you were saying. And then um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Did you ask if there was like mistakes? Was that another one? Oh, I was just wondering about common mistakes because I, I don't have any like personal experience. I'm like just mm-hmm. getting started with like this chicken endeavor. And I sort of have a leg up because like the, the base has already been built for me. It's more about just optimizing their space. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to check out your downloadable just to like get started. Yeah. So... Chickens, literally the best animal. I wish if everybody had backyard chickens, if they were able to, again, I think the only reason you probably couldn't is maybe a city ordinance or yeah, HOA. It's usually like that. Yeah. So, um, but I think most of them are roosters because roosters are loud, but hens, they just go cluck about. They don't really do much, but then they give you eggs. So imagine like the food burden that would be taken off of the system. And actually egg prices just skyrocketed this year or last year. So imagine how much that would help families because they exactly. just go and forage and they eat and food. It really isn't that expensive. You give them scraps and, and that would just, it would be world changing. Yeah. I think Joel Salatin said if everyone had like backyard chickens, there would be no egg industry, but yeah. um, here we are. How yeah. much, yeah, the food scraps is cool. And my sister just got a few chickens and her plot of land and one duck actually yesterday. So um, what, percentage of like you know food scraps are you utilizing to feed your chickens and or like composting is it is it pretty close to like nearly all of it because i think that's kind of like almost the most incredible part of uh having a a self-sufficient system is there's really not a lot of waste yeah i I love we said there's not a lot of waste so things that i can't compost like the meat Uh, I will give that to my chickens. So if there's leftover meat or something, I'm not going to eat. Like earlier this week, I made a, I made a hash, but then I ended up making something else. I have all this abundance coming on right now. And so it was just like a meat hash and eggs, a little bit leftover, gave that to the chickens. They loved it. And then what's so great is they take that amazing quality food and then turn it back into amazing quality food for me. So it eliminates that waste. And then other stuff goes to my compost and then, their chicken droppings also go into my compost. So it's like this cycle of things. You don't realize it's all connected. My goat droppings can go into the garden. So I use the manure for my cow last year to plant my trees and they're really taken off. So it's really cool how it's all connected. Yeah. I think the, the eggs at the store that are vegetarian fed people need to know that that's like huge scam. So um, that's cool to hear that you're good. <laughs> giving your chickens meat and protein because they are opportunistic omnivores um, for sure. But yeah, maybe like last question, I don't know if Ryan is chime in after, but you know, what was the hardest, you know, enterprise that that you've started and and maybe it's one that you didn't see through um, just as kind of like an example of, you know, something being challenging. Uh, I would say, like I've shared um, a bit on social media, people have seen having a dairy cow. So diving right into that, I was so excited. I got my homestead. I finally got the land, could have a dairy cow. I'd always dreamt of it, got the cow. And then 
realized cows are a lot, especially I did not grow up with cows. The last time my family had cows was like my great, great grandparents, they cows. So, you know, that lack of knowledge is gone. So diving in and then she was pregnant. She ended up having twins, but the biggest hurdle which was cool and ended up working out was she was giving me three to six gallons of milk a day. So that is way too much milk for me. So figuring out what to do for the milk. And I didn't have like all the livestock I do now. I would give some of the raw milk to the chickens, the dogs, um, and barter it. But even then I was still left with so much milk and it became kind of a issue because I have fencing, but, um, Fencing for cows is different than like fencing for goats. And um, then I had cows that were pasturing in the back from a separate farmer and they kept getting out and my dairy cow wanted to go with them. And uh, cows are herd animals. They don't like to be alone. So it was just a lot. That was probably the biggest thing that I chomped off and then quickly realized that, wow, this is way too much for me at this moment. But now I know later on down the line, with a big family, a dairy cow would be an incredible, incredible thing to have. Every family should have a dairy cow. I, I only really had one one other question. It kind of goes back to uh, when we were discussing uh, sort of having like uh, your job and then your homesteading beginning sort of like your side, your side hustle, the side dream sort of thing. How did you, I mean, I know you were doing, have been doing Twitch and stuff, which actually is a great accompaniment to that, but do you have any advice for people that are still performing some sort of exterior work and then balancing those two? Like, how do you find that? I mean, maybe there isn't exactly a perfect balance because I don't think there ever is, but like, do you have any advice for people that are still doing that as they kind of work their way into this lifestyle and making it work for them? I think like it was kind of mentioned earlier by Tristan is like the manifesting. So I don't per se manifest, but like I, you know, I just know that I want something. So you want a homestead, right? So then you start living that way, whatever time of day that you have, or you're making your bread from scratch, like starting small and just starting to live that way. And then you will see doors open up. Like I just have full confidence that doors open up for people like that when they start to live that way and they start to desire things. Um, because I, I just, I don't know. I've had so many experiences where I have known that and seen that with my family and my friends. So I would suggest just doing as much as you can comfortably. You obviously don't want to overwhelm yourself. And so I am able to work from home and it is very much like a full-time job uh, doing streaming and everything else that I do that goes along with it. Um, but if you just start to live your life the way that you want your life to be in the future, I think you will see doors open up and opportunities open up that would not have been seen if you didn't live your life like so. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, really. I mean, if, if you want to live a certain way or have a vision, like you just need to like act like that's the only end destination for you. and you'll be surprised at how quickly, you know, your life can change it. I know both Ryan and I have, have seen that kind of over the past year um, in, in our own lives. So it's really empowering. I also think it's great, you know, you're sharing all this on social media because it's an intimidating process. And when people are transparent about, you know, the ups and downs of something like homesteading, which is inherently, of course, what it's about and, the amount of work, you know, that, that gets put into it, but the amount, you know, you get out of it in terms of, yeah, the quality of nutrition and yeah, just the 
security and control and sovereignty over your food. I mean, that's, you can't beat that really. So Gubba, where can people find you on social media? Uh, the best place to find me would be gubbahomestead.com. That's like where I have all of my resources, like everything that we've talked about with gardening and animals. And I have all my courses and downloadables on there. Uh, so that's a great place to start to really just like see what I'm doing. But then I share, you know, the videos and everything on Gubba Homestead Twitter and my Instagram, also my TikTok. But all those things sort of stem from my website and then trickle down. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This is a great chat. Yeah, thank and you. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We'll see you next time. <laughs>